well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I think it's time to update the uh, screenshot behind me here because we're finally starting to look a little fall-like in uh, Central Virginia. Finally, it is about time. Got some uh, orange leaves, a beautiful uh, red trees, but we're not going to be talking about red trees today, at least red leaves. We're going to be talking about red flags, red flag laws, and uh, have red flag laws hit a brick wall in this country. We'll get to that story momentarily. Uh, before we do, however, do have a, a special message for you. You miss President Trump? Well, you are not alone, and I'm coming to you with a very special offer that you do not want to miss. Now's your chance to win one of six signed photos of President Trump. These were hand-signed by President Trump, and soon one could be hanging up in your home. When President Trump signed these photos, he wanted to make sure all of his supporters had a chance to receive one, and now is your chance. All you have to do is text GUNS to 55404 today for your chance to win a beautiful photo of President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump hand-signed by President Trump himself. Again, by texting GUNS to 55404 right now, you will not only uh, be eligible to win one of these photos, but you will get exclusive double entry activation for a limited time. Again, text GUNS to 55404 to have your name entered twice to win a hand-signed Trump photo. Don't want to miss this. Contest in soon. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. All right, so let's talk about red flag laws. Uh, the Pew Charitable Trusts has a, a big piece today wondering, and I think that uh, the, the motivation behind this is not to say, oh, look, red flag laws are in trouble. It's to warn gun control activists, you need to get on the ball here because uh, we're in danger of red flag laws momentum petering out, which I think would be a very good development. Because then we can get back to talking about things that actually work to address mental health crises that don't infringe on our due process rights. But uh, obviously, gun control activists have a very different attitude. So take a look at this uh, a graphic here. This is from uh, Pew Charitable Trust. Those states in red are the states that currently have a red flag law. And if you notice, there's really not a lot of room for growth. I mean, there are a lot of states that don't have red flag laws on the books, but most of those states are either controlled by Republicans uh, or they have at least a split legislative chambers. So you might have a Democrat as governor, but you've got a Republican-controlled uh, House of Representatives or a state Senate or maybe even both. We've seen, uh, for instance, in Pennsylvania, red flag laws have been introduced, but the Republicans control the legislature. They're not interested in uh, uh, putting a red flag law bill forward. Same in the uh, state of Wisconsin uh, and in the uh, state of uh, Minnesota, uh, Michigan as well. But again, there are legislative roadblocks, as I believe they should be. Now, Pew notes that, well, this was very different. You know, a couple of years ago, after uh, the shooting of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, the Republican-controlled legislature in Florida actually passed a red flag law. So why why aren't we seeing that uh, happen today? Why why are Republicans shying away from red flag laws? And I would say it's actually because of two reasons. One, I think that Republicans have largely woken up to the fact that this is not a mental health bill, that this is a gun control bill masquerading as a mental health proposal, and it is a gun control 
bill, which is going to make Republicans far less likely to sign on to these measures. I, that, that, that I think is one reason. Uh, I think the other reason, frankly, is the activism of gun owners and Second Amendment activists who've been pushing back on these laws. Say, look, these aren't needed. These aren't necessary. They have huge flaws. And we have better ways to actually address someone who is dealing with a mental health crisis than by taking their guns away and leaving them with their knives and their pills and their gasoline and everything else. Um, Interestingly enough, in this uh, piece uh, from the uh, Pew Charitable Trust, they uh, quote a gun control activist uh, who does not sound too positive. Josh Horwitz is the executive director of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence and the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence. He says, quote, of the states that we think we have an opportunity to move forward, there's no place where we can go. That's a slam dunk. That'll be easy. In fact, I don't think they really got a way forward at all at the moment for additional red flag laws, because as I mentioned, basically every Democrat-controlled state has already passed them including, by the way, the state where I live, the uh, state of Virginia, it hasn't done anything. You know, this is the other uh, problem with red flag laws, is that they don't actually do anything. We've seen red flag laws in the books, for instance, in Colorado. We've seen a number of mass shootings in the state of Colorado since the red flag laws have been put on the books. Same in California since the red flag laws have been put on the books. So we know that the presence of a red flag law is not enough to stop somebody in the midst of a mental health crisis from committing an act of violence, right? We know that. We also know that there are civil commitment laws on the books in all 50 states uh, that we could use right now to address those in the grips of a mental health crisis without trying to pursue a quote-unquote, red flag firearm law. Now, there's one quote in this uh, Pew story that uh, I, I just I was, I was taken aback when I saw this. Uh, Adam Garber, who's the executive director of Ceasefire Pennsylvania, which is described as a Pennsylvania gun safety group. Mm-mm. No, they're a gun control group. Uh, and he says that red flag laws should actually appeal to gun owners. Yeah. He says, well, under state law, current state law, Police officers and doctors can commit a person to a psychiatric facility even against their will if they're at risk to themselves or others. That person also loses access to their firearms, possibly for life. Red flag laws, he says, are a temporary alternative that preserves the gun owner's long-term rights. He says, this policy is not about interfering with the right to own guns. It's about saving gun owners' lives. This will give them a chance to go hunting another day. The devil's in the details here. So, first of all, uh, Garber's not trying to repeal the current civil commitment laws. like Those are still going to be on the books. He wants to add a red flag law to the books. So now you got options, right? Now you can uh, try to actually uh, take somebody to a mental institution, have them evaluated by a mental health professional, see if they truly do pose a danger to themselves or others, in which case, again, you can start the civil commitment or the involuntary commitment proceedings, which is lengthy and takes time. And it costs money because you're if somebody is a danger to themselves or others, they're going to have to be put in a facility somewhere, right, while they get their treatment. And again, that, that adds up. There's a cost to that. Red flag laws are cheaper for the state. They're easier for the state. 
there's less red tape in a red flag law than there is in a civil commitment law because in a red flag law, the mental health system is not involved at all. There are no visits to a doctor. Instead, as a judge making the determination as to whether or not there's a you know 51% chance, better than average chance, of somebody being a danger to themselves or others. And under that low legal standard, by the way, using only one side's evidence, because if you are the subject of a red flag petition, you don't get called to that first hearing. You get your day in court a couple weeks later. But at that first hearing, the judge is going to be hearing solely from the prosecutor, solely from those who say that person's guns have got to be taken away from them. And based solely on one-sided testimony, a judge can decide, yeah, okay, I think that's right. Yeah, take, take the guns away. And we'll have a hearing in a couple weeks, and uh, then it's going to be up to that individual. The burden is going to be on that individual to prove that they're not a danger. As opposed to it being up to the state to prove that somebody is a danger. Right? And you're also at a disadvantage in another way. See, if you're charged with a crime in this country and you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you, right? You get a public defender. But in a red flag petition, you're not being charged with a crime. You don't have to be arrested. You don't have to be facing criminal charges. And this is a civil court proceeding. So while you'll still be facing a prosecutor, you're not entitled to legal representation if you can't afford a, an attorney. If you can't afford to hire a lawyer, you're on your own in that courtroom. Mm -hmm. Which again, I think violates some basic due process, protection, uh, due process protections. Not that uh, gun control advocates, again, see that as a flaw. I think they see that as a, uh, as a feature. Um, the uh, Pew Charitable Trust uh, notes as well, in some communities, especially urban areas, gun violence has never left the spotlight, said Wisconsin State Representative Lena Taylor. A Milwaukee Democrat sponsoring an extreme risk protection order bill. As in other states, the Wisconsin bill has not received a hearing in the Republican-controlled legislature. She said, quote, we just hit a brick wall of just not being able to even try to figure this out. For people who've lost loved ones, that's what hurts. I feel like we owe them. There's only so many prayers and condolences to give. I got to say, I think that is absolute nonsense. It is absolute nonsense because what this representative is saying is, well, unless we can have red flag laws, we can't do anything. Baloney. There's lots of things that you can do. Again, you can beef up the existing mental health system in the state of Wisconsin because I guarantee you that you've got a shortage of inpatient beds, that you have a shortage of mental health counselors, that people who are in the midst of a crisis right now can't get the help that they need. Now, it's, that's more difficult. They say, well, we just passed this law. It will solve everything. You are going to have to figure out where to come up with the additional funding that is needed. Because, again, there is money involved. And it's not an insubstantial amount of money. You might be talking about having to build new hospitals. Hire new state employees who are doctors and nurses and healthcare workers. And even the, uh, you know, the, the folks providing the physical infrastructure for those places. But that's something that you could do. And I would argue that that's something that actually have a much bigger impact than a Red flag law. Uh, you could also go after repeat violent offenders, right? You could encourage cities like Milwaukee uh, to uh, take cases involving repeat violent offenders to the U.S. attorney where they face longer sentences in uh, federal prison for those who have apparently uh, repeatedly ignored the uh, consequences they received in the state criminal justice system. That, that's something else that you could do. 
You could even do, you know, the sort of uh, non-policing community violence intervention programs that more folks on the left are talking about that don't involve putting new gun control laws in place, but again, deal with primarily uh, interacting and trying to uh, prevent those who are most at risk of violence from committing acts of violence. You can do that too. And there are programs out there that I think are are, are successful in uh, turning people's lives around. There are all kinds of things that you can do. Oh, you can also encourage gun owners, uh, gun stores, uh, and the Second Amendment community to be more proactive when it comes to things like suicide prevention resources. But again, I don't think that, frankly, I, I, I don't think that should be coming from gun control advocates because I think it puts gun owners' backs up. You know, again, the one of the, the main reasons why there is, uh, I think, growing opposition to red flag laws in red states is because the people who are pushing them are gun control activists who don't want to have an honest discussion about how red flag laws work or, or don't, about the due process abuses about the fact that there is no mental health component to a law that is supposedly about dealing with somebody in the midst of a mental health crisis. They don't want to have an honest conversation about red flag laws. I've tried. I have sat down and tried to have an honest conversation with gun control activists about red flag laws. They are not interested in having that discussion, which is why so many Republicans, again, are not interested in passing a red flag law. Because they see it for what it is, not an attempt to truly help somebody who is in the midst of a mental health crisis, not an attempt to uh, make uh, the the, the uh, uh, public a, a a safer body uh, by you know temporarily uh, getting the guns out of someone's home. No. One of the other things that Pew doesn't mention, by the way, is that uh, most of these red flag laws uh, are very open-ended. Yeah, they expire after six months or a year, but they can be renewed uh, forevermore if need be. There is no limitation on the amount of renewals for these red flag laws. So, again, there's all kinds of reasons why the Republican opposition to red flag laws are growing, and I'm glad to see it. I really am. And it's not because I am cold or callous or indifferent to those in the midst of a mental health crisis. Far from it, as a matter of fact. I think this is an issue that we desperately need to to seriously deal with. But red flag laws are an unserious solution to a very serious problem. Because, again, they they are gun control measures masquerading as mental health bills. And I'm glad to see Republicans drawing a line in the sand. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story. Our good deed of the day, our recidivist report, we will start there. Here's the headline, Christmas Eve shooter gets suspended sentence. This is from the uh, Nacogdoches Times. Uh, Christmas Eve, 2020, around 8.30 in the evening, 19-year-old Joshua Andrew Jones allegedly shot a man named Chris Cobbs twice at Point Blank Range. Jones was arrested after the incident, spent the next 10 months in jail, originally charged with attempted second-degree murder. But uh, last month, Jones pleaded guilty 
to the lesser charge of aggravated second-degree battery. There's a felony charge that carries a fine of not more than $10,000 or imprisonment with or without hard labor for not more than 15 years or both. So we could have gotten 15 years in prison for shooting somebody point-blank in the face. Or, no, I'm sorry, not in the face, but uh, shooting them point-blank twice. Well, the sentencing hearing for Mr. Jones was held last week. And in his sentencing hearing, Mr. Jones received a Christmas gift. Yeah. A suspended sentence. Mm-hmm. So he could have done 15 years, but he won't. Judge Leila Sylvester sentenced Jones to 10 years with the Louisiana Department of Corrections. Sentence was suspended. Jones placed on a five-year supervised probation and uh, ordered to pay 18, well, let's round it up, $1,900 in court costs. Ten-year suspended sentence. By the way, I said this was Nacogdoches. That's, uh, that's Texas. This is Nacogdoches, Louisiana. So what happened here that allowed for Mr. Jones to walk away from a 10-year prison sentence? Well, according to the uh, Natchitoches Times, the uh, pre-sentencing investigative report, preliminary examination, uh, which took place back in March, showed that uh, when officers arrived uh, after reports of a shooting, they found Mr. Cobbs with two gunshot wounds being tended by his estranged wife. Jones was apparently sitting with Ms. Cobbs in her car outside of her home. Uh, she was awaiting the return of her juvenile son by her husband, from whom she was separated. Mr. Cobbs arrives, escorts his son to the house. Ms. Cobbs exits the car, followed him leaving uh, Mr. Jones inside the car. Then the Cobbs allegedly become involved in an argument about money. Mr. Cobb then leaves the house, allegedly walks towards Jones, still sitting in the car. Jones then exits the car, shoots Cobb twice, and then flees. I have to tell you, after hearing that summary, I still don't understand why Mr. Jones had all 10 years of his uh, sentence suspended. The court addressed Jones during the sentencing hearing, saying the facts surrounding your crime carry all the benchmarks of America's greatest current criminal problem. The proliferation of guns among young people with low thresholds of self-control and lack of maturity about firearms. And then they uh, said, eh, nah, nah, I guess it doesn't really matter. Because we're going to tell you, don't do it again. Court documents citing Jones' youth no prior criminal history, as uh, well as conflicting statements given by the victim uh, against those given by two eyewitnesses that shed doubt as to uh, who was the aggressor that night. All right, so look, maybe you're, uh, if that's the argument, we don't really know all of the circumstances of this case. I, I, I can understand that argument, except for one thing. Jones pled guilty to a felony crime. And at that point, that's what the judge has to deal with. If Mr. Jones did not commit this shooting, or if he committed this shooting in an act of self-defense, he should have pursued that. He should have argued that in court. Instead, he pleaded guilty to a violent felony. And at 19 years of age, he was told the 10 years in prison that he was eligible for will not apply. So I hope this is the last time that we hear of uh, Joshua Andrew Jones in court. But he got one hell of a sweetheart deal to avoid going to prison. Uh, today's uh, armed citizen story from Calaveras County, California, where an intruder who threatened to return to this home after breaking in once 
was killed when he came back. Yeah. I don't know why. Anyway. Uh, it was just after midnight on Sunday, Calaveras County deputies responded to a home in Valley Springs for a report of a forced entry. When deputies arrived, uh, two men in front of the home said that an unknown man had kicked down the front door, began assaulting them. One of the deputies told them uh, that he had shot the intruder in self-defense. The man later identified as 28-year-old Lennon Elizalde, declared dead of the scene. During the investigation, deputies found that Elizalde had been arrested the day before for breaking into the same home. Officials said that uh, two people living inside had recently bought it through a real estate company. While they were moving in, they found that Elizalde had broken into the home through a side door. He was the son of the former owner of the home, apparently. Uh, the new owners of the home called 911, but uh, Elizalde uh, left before deputies arrived, told the new owners, though, he tended to come back. He was later arrested by patrol deputies on illegal entry, possession of meth, vandalism charges. While being taken to jail, he uh, told the deputy that he believed the home was still his property, and he said he planned on going back. The patrol deputy submitted an application to get Elizalde's bail increased due to the statements that he had made about, well, it's my house, I'm going back there, even though it wasn't his home anymore. But the uh, judge ultimately denied the uh, bail increase because of the misdemeanor arrest charges. So Elizalde was released back onto the streets. He did follow up and return to the home where he was shot and killed uh, by one of the new residents there. Uh, the, who have not been arrested, by the way, or cited the investigation is ongoing, but this would appear to be a clear-cut case of a, a clear-cut case of self-defense, uh, aided and exacerbated by the California criminal justice system. And finally, today, our good deed of the day. Hmm. Also, with a little bit of a sting to it, good Samaritan delivery driver helps stabbing victim and then get struck with his own car by a thief. Happened in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota where they are dealing with a uh, staggering rise in violent crime. Brandon Augst is trying to make a living as a DoorDash driver in the midst of the crime spike. It was uh, last Tuesday about 11 p.m. He's making a delivery in St. Paul. Just before he got to the house, police said two men got in a fight by a, a light rail station at the uh, intersection. One got stabbed in the neck, was lying in the street. Brandon Augst, said uh, he was rolling around, he had his hand up in the air, he didn't notice blood on the ground. So Ox pulls over, calls 911, runs over to help the stabbing victim. He said he had a huge hole, probably bigger than a quarter. said he was surprised that nobody else who, who were around uh, jumped in to help. He was the only one. He said nobody was doing anything. Some guy was just sitting in his car right in front of the victim. Police got to the scene quickly, according to Ox. He stayed on the phone with 911 as an officer and another bystander helped the victim, and that's when Ox noticed somebody getting into his car, which he had left running. Because, you know, he saw somebody being stabbed, and he just ran out and started helping him. Ox says, the cop standing next to me, I said, the guy's taking my car, and then I ran over there. I was right in front of the car. He just floored it right into me, and I literally rolled over the top. I fell off the back of my car. Everything I have except for my clothes was in that car. Ox said the thief tried using his credit card at a gas station. He's hopeful that surveillance cameras caught him. The man who was stabbed will survive. And that, uh, aside from, you know, losing basically all of his possessions, except for the clothes on his back, that was Ox's biggest concern. He said, I didn't think uh, he would make it because he got stabbed right in the neck by the jugular. So if you are in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and you see a 2012 Toyota Yaris hatchback, light blue, License plate MGR 
contact the St. Paul Police Department. And I hope, I, I hope that Brandon Augst has not been uh, dissuaded from doing the right thing if uh, he is given that opportunity again just because um, some douchebag took advantage of his kindness towards strangers. So Brandon Augst, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. I'm I, I, I'm sorry and disappointed that uh, you did the right thing while somebody else is doing the wrong thing, but I hope that your story has a happy end, and I thank you very much for coming to the aid of that stranger. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. We will be back with even more Second Amendment news and information tomorrow. But don't forget, you can check out BearingArms.com in the meantime and get more Second Amendment news stories from all across the nation, maybe even internationally as well. You never know. Wherever the news takes us, that's where we will follow. But we're glad that you are along for the ride. If you like what you see, you can also become a VIP member. We really do appreciate your support. And uh, by using the promo code GUNS, G-U-N-S, You'll get 25% off of your VIP membership. You'll get exclusive analysis, news stories, commentary, and more. All you got to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Again, use the promo code GUNS, and you get 25% off your membership. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for being here today. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. Be free.